I'm like anxious all the time about everything, but no one will ever know. In my head, I'm just like 8,005 questions at once. But you know, still got to be in this meeting or still got to do this budget. It doesn't change anything if you panic or if you don't. You just take longer to do the thing you want to do. Super excited to have Malachi Sargent today with us on the podcast. Yet another 2021 mentor from our mentoring program. Uh, Malachi is an artist and cultural producer. Uh, they have presented work with Soho Theater, Serpentine Galleries, the Royal Exchange, and the Royal Court. Malachi is an alumnus of the Barbican Young Poets, currently the Associate Director at Theater Peckham. Uh, Malachi does a lot of stuff, okay? They serve as a trustee for the Hackney Showroom, the London International Festival of Theatre, and so much more. This is such an insightful conversation about privilege, about who gets to access the creative industries, creating your own path through it all, and so much more. So, Malachi, welcome to the I Like Networking podcast and to the I Like Networking program because you're going to be our mentor with us this year. Yes, I'm super excited for that. I can't wait to start. I am super excited that you accepted my totally crazy blank invitation on LinkedIn. Like, hi, I slightly <laughs> stalk all that you do. And would you come help us on this slight endeavor of tackling uh, inequality in the arts? Just yeah, a small trouble we're really going minor. through. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to get through everything that you do because like your bio is insane. The amount of things you do at the same time, like, People think I'm busy. I don't know how do you fit everything in your day. And full disclaimer, we are recording this on a Friday at 5.15 p.m. Okay, because that, and we booked it like a month in advance. This is how busy <laughs> this person is. Okay, so just just to be clear, I'm never going to complain about my time again. <laughs> so would you kindly introduce yourself and tell us your name, where you're from, and what is it that you do? Absolutely. Um, my name is Malachi Sargent. Um, I'm a writer, theatre director, producer, consultant, dramaturg, etc. Um, from pre-gentrified Hackney in London. Um, yeah, my pronouns are they, them, and I kind of explore um, queer intimacy and generational trauma and generational joy and migration and identity in my work and you've worked with like tons of different organizations and also from what i can grasp in different sort of mediums but so will you take us back and just tell us like when you were growing up were sort of like the arts and the creative sector a place you wanted to be did you have people kind of encouraging you to do that like how did you find your path into this this world yeah it was a strange one um I was an only child for like 10 years so I was often just like entertained with my own company um and I'd often just like find myself talking to myself and making up these stories and using like objects I could find to tell stories or whatever and I kind of, like, from quite young, was always into reading books and just, like, yeah, like, literature generally. Um, so I think from quite early, plus the fact that my mum is an English teacher, 
um, I was like quite, I had like a curated environment of like stories that I could read and listen to, as well as like my family being like, I'm of a Caribbean background and we're just like quite loud when we're all together and like joyous and when we congregate, it's always like just vibey, innit? So there's always stories that come out from before like my great grandparents came to this country and like stories of the Caribbean and like having that connection to lineage and stuff through storytelling, I think was always, as I reflect on it recently, is something that's like been quite obvious and transparent throughout my childhood so like I feel like at some point naturally I would have come to theatre um but I ended up doing it when I was in my early teens um my mum was like you need to stop being so antisocial and make some friends so <laughs> like <laughs> go to this drama like inclusive drama thing for two weeks um make some friends learn to be confident etc etc I was shook like I was with all these older people I was like the youngest person in the group and they were just like really cool but I was shy in it and I was just like wow so I did the show and it was cute but then I didn't go back for another two years because I was anxious um then I went back in like 2011 I think it was and yeah I actually enjoyed myself who'd have thought I was like having a good time and that was like a community cast full of young people of all different backgrounds and abilities and uh that kind of stuff so like truly truly inclusive and representative of where I lived um which was in Tottenham at the time and then yeah from there I kind of started going regularly attending these like weekly drama sessions working devising stuff with other young people like ensemble shows and events and stuff and then I started volunteering like facilitating with the kids like the children's theatre and the younger group than me um and then I started like devising work with young people outside of that and eventually I co-founded a theatre company in 2014 called the SNK project um based like with that sort of background and that armour of like just always being exposed to stories and storytelling and then having this like environment that nurtures that with other people who have the same interest as you. was like, I want arts to be like that for everyone. I want to make the arts for everyone. And that was kind of what underpinned the work that SNK did up until 2019. So I guess- well, that, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say that's a really fascinating story and you just from what you're telling me, learned a lot by doing and throwing yourself at things. But what I find kind of like fascinating is how many people who consider themselves shy or are considered shy by whoever, parents, society, tend to feel attracted by theater. I found I find that really interesting. I'm like, I'm like I'm the opposite of a shy person. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea how, how being shy is, but... <laughs> I don't know, what do you, what do you think that is? Like why would you why did you feel like you fit there at some point? It's really funny you say that cuz I was having a conversation the other day with some friends about like how come we were the theater kids like why were we the ones that ended up 
being pushed into this thing. I guess one reason is like parents who are trying to be progressive see the art as like just like creative arts generally is like you know you know go go be explorative go go find yourself play the trombone I don't know like people kind of just like introduce uh yeah like instruments or like a specific book or films or whatever to try and get people to like find their niches and find what they enjoy and stuff and I guess theatre is a really sort of live visceral way of being able to do that you can act and respond and like talk and discuss all in the same moment um a film you have to shoot and edit and go into post and da 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 like everything kind of takes long (laughs) I guess for people with like lots to say but haven't necessarily known how to say it theatre is that place where you can say it in the moment and get a reaction in the moment and then like open up a discussion in it it's kind of what the whole art form is about for me Um, yeah and you have that like direct audience response which you don't necessarily get with film right because otherwise you'd have to be at every single (laughs) sort of (laughs) film screening and uh, I I actually started working in film in my career ages ago and then I realized I was too anxious for it Uh like I didn't want to work on a project for five years I was like I want to do it in one year yeah like idea production seeing what people think you know yeah exactly exactly I think that's what I still get a thrill out of as well like especially in my work at the moment it's like okay we think that we're edging out of a pandemic we may be able to reopen a theater how do we put together a program of work in three months and like I love that agility and how people can just decide they want to tell a story and they just do it um I think in its essence there is like a super accessible art form just because it just requires bodies and people. You don't need a stage, you don't need lights, you don't it's just it's just storytelling, isn't it? Um but I guess it's made it's been made to be like elite because people have clutched you can make money off it. That's not really interesting to me. I went on a tangent there, don't know how I got there. But <laughs> <laughs> that's fine you'll be surprised at how many tangents we get to on conversations <laughs> usually no I think that's 100% it's super interesting and you know I, I I'm curious to know what is this place this is was it like a drama school or a drama club the one that you first went to that you found very inclusive is that does that still exist yeah it does I think it's like almost 20 years old now it's called wow. Haringey Shed um, okay. which is like an offshoot of Chicken Shed, which is like a theatre company. Did you used to go to a lot of plays once you got into this? Or did you kind of start going to everything? Like, were you always, what I mean is, like, have you always consumed a lot of culture or, and the arts and yeah. entertainment, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. Um, It's interesting to kind of reflect on it with, the lens of looking at it through class, which I think is inevitable, um, because really class isn't just about money, it's about your sort of social stratosphere and your exposure to culture and your availability to access opportunities, so your networks and da 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 So it's this really interesting thing to start to dissect. And I think, like, 
with that in mind, my mum was always really conscious that she wanted me to like be socially mobile as she wanted that for herself, coming from, you know, very, very working class background. Um, so like, she was always taking me to museums that were free and galleries that were free and the occasional ones she would pay for as well, which is sick. Um, and she was working in what I guess used to be considered a middle-class career, being a teacher. But um, yeah, being a teacher in a comprehensive school in like inner London is very different to being a teacher in like rural whatever shit in England. It's just a really different scenario. So she was being like a social worker, she was being a teacher, she was being a mentor, she was being a caregiver to like children coming from all different kinds of uh, quite upsetting background sometimes so like even though like she was really good at exposing me to culture there was also like a lot of stuff that she was distracted from by work so in many ways I had to kind of shape my own exposure to culture which didn't come until much later I would say when I started listening to like <laughs> this is embarrassing to say now when I started listening to dubstep and like <laughs> drum and bass and <laughs> why is that embarrassing because it's just like very sort of <laughs> <laughs> unconventional for for my age I was like 12 13 it's like yeah listen to the, the bass it's like <laughs> not really it's okay I, I I cannot judge people's music experience <laughs> because I have like a very weird taste to music so I'll I'll let anyone fly with whatever it is. Thank you. I feel, feel better now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it wasn't very conventional for like black boys from Hackney to be listening to dubstep and then <laughs> wanting to make that sort of music. But that's yeah. what we did. And then I guess that was the starting point for really shaping my understanding of the culture I wanted to consume. And that came through like watching really obscure, like, early 2000s British comedies, like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which I think is hilarious. Um, so really, like, satirical things, really dry humour, and that kind of informed my writing style. Um, and I was writing poetry um, for a little minute, as well as, like, co-writing plays for my theatre company at the time. But in 2015, I applied for the Barbican Young Poets. Maybe it was 2016. <laughs> I think it was 2016. I can't remember. But I applied for the Barbican Young Poets in one of those years and got accepted the first time, which was like a big deal. So I was really gassed. Um, and I worked with Jacob, Sam LaRose and Rachel Long, who led those sessions at the Barbican for about nine months on that course. And that's where I really kind of like honed my voice as an artist, I would say, as a writer, or at least got a foundation of it. So I know where I wanted to go with it and what I wanted to pursue and how I wanted my work to sound. Um, but yeah, the sort of exposure to culture came quite late in my life. It wasn't ever like, I'm obviously not from the UK, so I'm, I'm not like an expert, 
But coming from where I come from, where there's obviously a huge <laughs> class issue, which is Latin yeah. America, um, I feel like it's kind of the same. You, it is kind of like you're like a type of social capital. So I think your mom was right in a way. Like when you know how to, it's like little things even like being kind of like in air quotes. I'm going to say this, like knowing how to behave, mm. right in those spaces. There's all this sort of I don't know, there are those discolds, I think. And I, I, I come from a family of uh, immigrants as well. And then my, my grandfather was, uh, I think my grandparents in general, but especially my grandfather was very traumatized by the war. Mm. He was Jewish. And then they would kind of insist a lot that the only thing you have is your culture. Mm. Like that that's enough to get you anywhere. So I don't know, <laughs> maybe your mom and my grandfather father had similar ideas about that <laughs> um and it's interesting but I I remember going to a lot of stuff and obviously being involved but then only going to theater really like myself much later as well in life and being interested in it mm-hmm. I got lost for a while into um adolescent stuff <laughs> <laughs> um but how did you so you did a Barbican Young Poets around 1516. And then were you already working with uh, your own company at the time? So how yeah. did you make the jump from, oh yeah. And so you were already producing stuff. Yeah, which is weird, isn't it? When you say it like that. Um, <laughs> we had like, yeah, put on two plays in 2014 at the Lion and Unicorn Theatre in Kentish Town and in 2015 we started doing workshops around one of the plays that we did and like yeah the workshops were kind of themed around uh consent and like uh being able to label abuse in um teenage relationships so wow we were quite um how can I say this like forward thinking to the whole thing that we're talking about now yeah I mean I guess it is (laughs) it's really bizarre to see how life imitates art and vice versa um because yeah it that was not necessarily something that we knew that we were setting out to write but it was like after a process of devising some stuff with a cast of women that's the sort of themes that were coming up. So we devised and scripted something around that. Um, and then we wanted to do one of these workshops with Haringey Shed, where I started off um, acting and stuff. And they were like, yeah, cool. So we did a workshop, it went really, really well. And then they asked us to come back and direct their summer program, the one that I went on in like 2008 for the first time and was really, really scared. Um, so life came really full circle um, by yeah, directing a two-week summer project with like 32 young people, um, devising a piece around a traditional Congolese folktale, and we had a budget for like set and costume and lights, and it was great. It was a really interesting introduction to like directing theatre, um, working with 
32 young people, a third of which had additional learning needs or some sort of physical disabilities or complex learning needs, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's always been like quite an inclusive practice I've had because of that sort of foundation, I guess. Friends, this is a quick break to tell you about our amazing sponsors day and women-led company revolutionizing your periods with sustainable tampons you can be proud of. Their clinically validated cramp-suiting CBD tampons delivered straight to your door whenever it fits your cycle. To get five pounds off your first box of tampons or probiotics, just head over to yourday.com and use the code NETWORKING5. But how did you... Okay, that might sound really dumb, okay? Because I don't work with young people. But so how did you kind of know how to kind of break through there because I would be terrified of having to do anything with young people that they would like eat me alive <laughs> uh that's the impression I have <laughs> I mean, so yeah, how was like did you ever like I don't know like I know that this is something you're interested in obviously you could say that one of the that like if anyone wants to be in facilitation and so on it's something you'd be interested in supporting but like how do you get into that basically It's really weird. I don't really know, to be honest. <laughs> um, it was really bizarre because I didn't... Like, I, I can safely say with my entire career and all the things I do, I do it by accident. Just like ended up doing something, enjoyed it, and then found out that there was a job for it. Like I knew that I liked chatting to people. I knew that I liked talking rubbish. Um... But only that I also had like intentions and like things I wanted to find out. So that sort of curiosity and just asking questions, I guess. Yeah. Can be facilitation. Um, and then it applies in so much other work. It applies when you're interrogating text in a room with actors. It applies when you're holding spaces for anti-racism uh, consultancy workshops that I do with like different organizations. Um, it applies when you're producing and you're like analyzing your budget and you're asking what's missing and where's the contingency for this thing it's like that sort of deep level questioning is something that's quite important to me in my practice and just understanding myself as a human being um so yeah I think facilitation is was what opened that up for me and it was just that thing of wanting to be in a space having people there, knowing that I'm good at like creating work myself because I was doing that for four years prior, like creating shows and stuff. Yeah. So this yeah, this is interesting. I mean, I you seem like you enjoy a lot of the aspects of the production, which is good, I guess. I don't know a lot of people fret about the numbers and the production values and all of that. Mm. You seem to talk about it all very calmly. <laughs> like yeah. It's part of it. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it pretty is. That's pretty much how it goes for me. It's because I like switch between hats so often. Like in an average week, like this week, for example, I was um, planning for a two-week festival of new writing and performance that's happening at Theatre Peckham in the summer. So... If everything goes well and we can open on time and stuff, we'll be having like a new production of new writing that Theatre Peckham is producing. Um, 
and I'm kind of like negotiating the beginning stages of that process and then I'll be directing that show and then I'll be curating this festival of work which involves producing and like liaising with artists and contracting and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, just in like a three month block, as well as doing like sort of anti-racism consultancy on the side of that, there's like lots of different hats that I'm constantly switching between. Um, so you have to be calm, otherwise you'll panic. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just gotta like Along with it. Yeah. keep it together. <laughs> I, yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I used to panic a lot in my early years, so I feel like you're doing a really good job at doing all of that. What did you panic I, about? Why were you panicking? I don't know. I mean, I never, like, panicked, panicked, but I was always, like, for the beginning of my years as a producer, mm. like, the first two to three years, I think I was on a state of constant anxiety that something was going to go wrong mm-hmm. until I got used to the fact that I could plan as much as possible and one thing or another would always get out of hand because you don't control everything. Mm-hmm. And once that became like, okay, I covered all my possible bases. If something else goes wrong, I'll be able to like deal with it. Yeah. Took me a good few years to get to that stage of like Zen, like, all right, yeah, this is a problem. Yeah. Like there's no energy in the state. For instance, that was a problem once. Uh, <laughs> no, but like, oh, exactly what are you gonna do in that situation? Mm, exactly, no, uh, I think that's... but I wasn't that mature in the beginning, I freaked out a lot. I think that's good though. I think if you're not like scared, you're probably not doing something right. If there isn't like a little bit of fear at some point in the process, if you think you've covered everything, then you're probably just like being sloppy, like. I'm like that's true I'm like anxious all the time about everything but no one will ever know in my (laughs) head I'm just like 8,005 questions at once but you know still gotta be in this meeting or still gotta do this budget doesn't change anything if you panic or if you don't you just wait longer to do the thing you want to do so a hundred percent. So how do you usually organize your time? Do you are you quite strict with like boundaries? Like oh, I don't, I don't know, schedule podcasts or Fridays. Or Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should be asking this question, but yeah, like how do you kind of make sure that you're able? Like, do you have a system? Like you may not have one, but how do you kind of organize your time so that you, you know, have space to breathe? Yeah, I mean, okay, so. I, this, I can assure you that I'm not sponsored by either of these following companies, but Google Calendar is my best friend. I've been using it for years. I've color-coded my calendar since, like, 2014. I just have a visual of each week how much time I'm spending working, how much time I'm doing wellness stuff and spiritual stuff for myself, how much time I'm in meetings, um... And what else? Yeah, and how much time I'm doing, like, cultural or, like, leisure things. So it sounds pretty neaky. It's, I guess, maybe because I'm a Virgo. But, like, I like to schedule my time and then colour code it in that way. Like, even if it's, like, Tuesday evening yoga, boom, that's in the calendar for an hour. Block of yellow, I can see that I've slotted in some, like, wellness for me on that day. Great. I will I will send you my calendar. It's exactly like that. I literally oh, did a screenshot yeah. today. And, <laughs> but my 
my wellness practice is in purple, so it's not in yellow, but okay. I mean, we're almost twins. Basically, that's sick. Uh, I don't feel so like alone now. <laughs> <laughs> I love Google Calendar. Color coding is everything. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And I've recently <laughs> discovered, um, again, not an ad, I've discovered Calendly. Yeah. Uh, game what changer. A dream. What a dream. Changed my life. Yeah, I know it's a game changer. I hundred percent. I'm also not sponsored, but I mean, I wish. But <laughs> like, if you're hearing this, <laughs> write that check. <laughs> write that check, or just give us like lots of free accounts. But yeah, um, I love it as well. It was like just such a good tool because there's so much like back and forth with emails. Like, can you do this? Can you do like just here is the link. Yeah. So yeah, if anyone else listening to this, there's a free version to Calendly, so just get on for that. It's great. I think that's <laughs> been like my time management uh, sort of baseline. And then I always allow myself a lot of flex because while I'm a Virgo sun, I'm also a Leo rising, which means that sometimes I just like to do chaotic things and decide to leave my house and go for a bike ride at 11 p.m. Even though I've got work at nine in the morning, that kind of stuff. Um, I guess like when I'm in deficit of like having yellow in my calendar, that's when I become more spontaneous. And like, I guess the thing I want to avoid doing is scheduling my life around work and rather do life things and schedule work around that. Um, yeah. And I guess because I started off as a freelancer, um, that's kind of just embedded into my soul. It's just like, but I want to have brunch on Wednesday with my friends. I'm going to do it. And then like do work later, even if I'm working yeah. in the evening, at least I saw my friends at brunch and that was great. You know? No, a hundred percent. I, I agree with you. Although I am a Taurus with, I don't know what else because I don't know, understand anything about science. <laughs> so you were like telling me, and I was like, uh huh, yeah. sure. Like, but so I'll, I'll believe you, uh, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> we can do another podcast about that because <laughs> one of our mentors, Jade, is super into like tarot and all this other stuff. And oh, cool. whenever people tell me about this thing, I'm like, what? And then someone told me once, it's because you're a Taurus. And I was like, it's not helping the sort of explanation. <laughs> I don't know what it means. God. <laughs> I don't, yeah. But this is like fascinating. I, yeah, I think it's the idea of being in control of your time either is really important to you or it's not. And it's fine for you to do a nine to five job. But I feel like most creatives want to be in total control of their times which is why so many of us end up being in different situations in terms of works like structures. Yeah, exactly. And that's like something I've been learning about in my current job. Um, it's my first sort of job job where I've had like a salary. I think that's really cool. I think it's really nice that every month an organization is committing to paying me. I think that's fabulous. Yeah. As if, so wait, like, this is a this is a theater backup, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you want to tell us how you ended up there? What is it that you do? Just and what theater backup is? Just for anyone who doesn't know yeah. it, give us a brief intro. Of course, context is useful. <laughs> um, so, 
how did I end up at Fiat Peckham? I was at a conference at Hackney Empire at some point in 2019 um, because I was representing my old company that I used to work for, Tamasha, um, at this conference. And at the end of it, I think I must have said something in like a little roundtable group thing. And then at the end, um, I introduced myself to Suzanne or Suzanne introduced herself to me. Suzanne's the artistic director and CEO at Theatre Peckham. Um, I think she'd been in the job for like just under a year at that point. So it was like mid-2019, I feel. Um, and yeah, she started in September 2018. So she was telling me about Theatre Peckham and we met for a coffee a couple of weeks afterwards and she said there's going to be a job coming up soon for creative learning manager I think you should apply I was like oh wow you think I'm sick that's so kind you think I can manage stuff <laughs> whoa <laughs> um I'm not giving myself credit at this point I was digital producer at Tamasha um and I was like managing five-figure budgets to produce like new digital content and like immersive digital theater stuff um, and podcasts as well, and audio dramas and stuff. So that's what I was doing at the time. Um, so then I applied for that job. I got an interview. I thought it went really well. And then I didn't get the job. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm- oh, my God, that's a twist. I was not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, like, you know, I thought, that was how things happened, but no, I was wrong. Um, which I was, I was fine about. I later did some freelancing with them, supporting on like fundraising and um, thinking about what their artistic program could look like. Because basically, traditionally, like Theatre Peckham's been going for like thirty five years, and I guess for a long time it was really, really deeply rooted in the community, which it still is. Um, but specifically focused only on like the training of acting and musical theatre and stuff, like the academy program, um, and that's what they did. That's how talent like John Boyega was uh, nurtured and developed their skills. So that's still an integral part to what Theatre Peckham does now. Um, and then when I came in in January twenty twenty, I was keen to like kind of reimagine what the artistic program could look like in order to engage with more artists more regularly to kind of be set in pace and like set in conversations and set in agendas within theater and within the community um locally by having a really banging artistic program that is thought-provoking and kind of crosses boundaries of form and forces and provokes and agitates so it's really nice to be looking forward to the rest of 2021 and hoping that the programs that I'm curating at the moment, like sort of festival style programming, I hope it bangs basically and does what I hope it will, like I just mentioned. Um, because yeah, yeah, last year was great, but difficult because it was, I was like, 10 weeks into the job and then we went into lockdown <laughs> I was like oh wow yeah talk about a challenge <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here 
Uh, uh, yeah, no, I hope things as well happen because I really miss seeing live stuff, like anything. Mm-hmm. Like I want to go to a museum and I want to go to the theater and I want to concert, like the whole, the whole shebang, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel you. I, I would like to kind of like ask a, a question about sort of, we, we briefly, you briefly spoke about this, about, you know, getting into sort of the theater world or I guess the, the arts in general, for lack of a better word, in uh, at like earlier, no, sorry, later in your life, mm-hmm. although you are still super young. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like you're still very much early in your life. That's true. I hope I am. Uh, yeah. And you said that, you know, we were talking a little bit about class and about how people access the arts and so on. And so obviously a big part of our mission at Talent Networking is to try to dismantle some of those barriers somehow because it is a lot still in the arts. There's still this kind of pervasive who you know and who are the people who go into what circles and so on, which can be difficult because a lot of the things that happen in the world in the art world in general happen because you know someone and as you said oh you met met someone in an event or something so networking at large in that you need to know the people in the industry it's really really important for your career and you may correct me if I'm wrong but I guess you came at it without really having like a family in it or you know any previous experience so how was you know, the process for you of like finding your people, I guess, like finding the people you like to work with, to collaborate. Was that easy? Did you kind of know where to go? Were you good? Because you saw that you were shy. Were you good at like striking up conversations with people? How did you kind of go about that? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I guess the first <laughs> part of that question, the first answer rather I have is, is like faith until you make it is a real thing. Like, I basically, <laughs> we, um, when I was running that, the SNK project, within like the first year, we got this graphic designer guy who like donated his time really kindly and created our entire like brand pack and did all of our marketing assets initially. So he did our logo with like reproducible logos in different colors. He designed our business cards. He designed like flyers for our events. Super kind guy. I hope he's well. Um, so I had business cards that I was flexing when I was like 16, 17 years old. <laughs> um, and I guess I always looked a little older for my age. So people thought I was the real deal. And I spoke like I knew what I was talking about. So I guess that helps. Um, that's also like, patriarchy though isn't it it's like when you're raised as male and like conditioned to experience the world in that way you don't really um there's no external factors that cause you to question how you benefit from patriarchy because that's the gag of privilege in it you don't clock that you're benefiting from it because certain things in society is constructed for you so i have to take account of that and like acknowledge that at some points there have probably been situations at networking events where people have read me as charming when really I'm just like being myself and just chatting like how I chat and talking about the things I want to talk about and not what they want to talk about. So I guess because 
there's been that unfilteredness. I suppose some people see that as confidence or being charming or whatever, but understanding that if I presented that at the time as like non-binary, whatever that means, or like, um, yeah, if I was female or femme or four females and femme presenting people, I'm sure that they don't experience that in the same way all of the time. Like, when you talk and be yourself, sometimes people find that intimidating, so they, like, don't engage as much, or sometimes people are overwhelmed by that, and so on and so forth. And, yeah, that battle between patriarchy and misogyny is, like, really real, and I kind of have been sleeping recently how throughout my career I've been able to kind of manoeuvre and make friends and, like, be, like, good acquaintances with people in order to, like, progress. And I think that is in part due to, like, this whole thing of being seen or read as a confident person, which, again, is, like, basically what a Leo rising is. (laughs) Um, But, like, actually not necessarily always being like that at all and kind of having to remind myself you know just allowing myself time to also be anxious whether that is in private or in the public realm because that is as much a part of me too as like the sort of calm demeanor like networking person yeah (laughs) that that was really thanks for sharing that I think that's really interesting of the whole aspect but yeah you you can continue if you want (laughs) if you want she said without interrupting (laughs) no i think no that was definitely the end of my point (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i think you're you you you're right like it's it's you know we all have to recognize our privileges and so on but yeah i think um it's just always good to hear from other perspectives and how people made their way into this industry industry because it's so so many times it can seem kind of like an insurmountable challenge to get to those places that you know one of our things here is to make sure that it isn't there are many ways that you can do this you don't not everyone needs to go through i don't even know drama school or whatever mm-hmm. i mean where i come from there's no such thing anyway so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not an option yeah um but thanks for sharing all of that and i think you know i've we i i don't know enough about the like i've been in the uk for it's gonna be seven years now uh-huh. but i've only really started to grasp a lot of its social issues let's say in the past two four years that I've been like more like oh wait there's because I came here from a country that's obviously very problematic in that sense and so I thought oh the UK will have it figured it out (laughs) (laughs) and then you found out the truth (laughs) (laughs) and then you're like oh wait (laughs) not really no but it's different they're very different there are different problems and different you know history so you can't compare one thing to another yeah uh, plainly, right? Doesn't make sense. Like you can't, you can't adopt every single thing that's happening everywhere because they have we have different issues and different problems and so on. But mm. it is really interesting. Like I love talking to people that have been that are from the UK, in a way, and have different experiences with it. You know? Yeah. Um. This country is like really awful. I really don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yet here you are doing a lot of let's say may I say political or work that touches upon social justice issues is that something that you're that just happens organically because those are the things that you're interested in, or is something that you're very kind of actively thinking about as using you know art as a way to kind of potentially I don't know show new points of views or represent people that perhaps haven't been represented before like how do you see your the type of work you do so mm. Mm. that's interesting um I think the the work I do is like I, I realized that the vast majority of my career so far has been about creating platforms and spaces for people who have been underrepresented, who have been underprivileged, who have been underserved by their governments and their communities and their families and their, like, you know, their environments. So when I'm creating projects, I'm always thinking about people I know and people I've encountered as a frame of reference for how inclusive a project is. For example, my mum has a sibling who is in their late 20s and um, uses they them pronouns and they are blind and have, well, have very, like, heavily visually impaired they have a guide dog and walk with a cane um they're a mixed race black person who presents as as female sometimes um they are living in social housing they are on universal credit and other state benefits like how can I create a project that is going to be accessible to them? Will they be able to get to the venue? Will they be able to come with their dog? Is there a seat positioned well enough for them to watch the production or to take part in the workshop or whatever? Like, you know, I'm always thinking about every single possibility and all of the nuances because someone has to. Um, There's a lot of sort of, there's not enough range, really. People will talk about stuff, but not really have the range to back it up. You can't talk about decolonization without talking about empire in the first place. But people are scared to talk about empire in the first place because this country hasn't confronted its, its role in that, its instigation of it, its profiting off of it. Only now, in 2021, because this week Bristol passed a motion to start looking at reparation a reparations act um a museum in scotland this week also has said that it's going to ship back a piece from nigeria in in the coming weeks so now we're starting to see very very incrementally acts of like reparation at least being discussed or brought to the public realm um yeah but like people don't really want to have those kind of conversations. It's all too uncomfortable. It uncovers too much all too quickly. So like people will like slap diversity on something or people will say like, this is inclusive, but you're not thinking about all the angles. You're thinking only about the angles that you exist in and can see from. 
So like all of yeah, hundred percent shift in the lens, and it, that comes into like creating too. Like I'm directing and developing a show with a writer called Kareem Parkins Brown, um, which is about gentrification in Northwest London and depression and how being black and in those two states can coexist. And he's written a surreal sort of sketch show almost as his debut play. Um, so that's going to be showcasing at the Roundhouse and at Theatre Peckham uh, across the summer, which would be really fun. And it's all about shifting the lens, isn't it? Like we've heard stories of gentrification. We've heard stories about dealing with poor mental health. We've heard stories about men's mental health specifically. Um, but are those stories being told through the vehicle of satire and surrealism? Because ultimately that's the only thing that we've got left to keep us going. We're all like masking ourselves with face masks, but fake smiles as well sometimes and like pretending everything's cool when we're not. Um, yeah. That's how we feel walking through our own ends. Like, everything's fine, everything's fine. Oh, another coffee shop? Okay, then, cool, cool, cool. Oh, where's the barbershop gone? Oh, okay. Pretending everything's fine, but it's not. So let's amplify that voice. Let's shift that lens. Let's tell that story. Um, I guess that's kind of how I would describe my work. Yeah, I, that's great. Thank you. You're very, how do you say this? I can't find the word. Okay, we'll come back. To it. But, um, yeah, the, uh, eloquent is that a word in English, or am I pronouncing something in Portuguese no. and making it in English? No, I mean you it might is. be doing that too, but eloquent is a word. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it happens. I adapt language <laughs> as I go. <laughs> We use it as our own, uh, our own sort of type of English. I have, a, I had a friend who used to call, who used to tell me that I didn't really speak English. I spoke Isabellian because I did a lot of, I did like <laughs> appropriated a lot of things that did not make sense. And he's like, that's just your old sort of language right now. No, but. that's the best. English is a terrible language. It's really boring. It's like, <laughs> like if you really think about it, right? There's probably so many words or phrases or feelings or emotions that English can't capture that you know exist in other languages, right? I'll have to agree with that. Like, totally. the English language has no soul for me. Like, all the words are quite functional, but you don't really have anything that captures, like, the brightness you feel when you're catching a sunrise. But in other languages, there'll be a word or a phrase for that, you know? Yeah. I, I, I read a book... Oh my god, we're going totally on a tangent. <laughs> I, I promise I'll wrap up after this video. Yeah, I read a book called Minor Feelings uh -huh. by this like um okay, I going to go on a whim here. I think her name is Kathy something. Hold on, I'm gonna Google it just so we know for sure. <laughs> it's Kathy something. Kathy Hong Park. Uh -huh. Probably butchering her name. Anyway, she's a she's a uh, Korean American, uh -huh. and she is a poet. And then she wrote this book, which is kind of like, like, an a narrative book, like like almost you almost sometimes read it as fiction, but it's like kind of with essays in the middle. I can't really put my finger like it's beautifully written, obviously because 
she's a poet, so she very carefully chooses her words. Yeah. And she advocates for like accepting that the appropriation of English as English, like the appropriation of English by by Korean immigrants, or the appropriation of English by like the Cuban immigrants, for instance, uh-huh. in in the state. And it's so good. It's like after I read that book, I was like, you know what? Next time I make a mistake, I'm just gonna own it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Isabellian language exactly. right here and that's fine yes exactly <laughs> uh, so yeah no I promise I'm gonna let you go because it is Friday and you need to rest so Malaga before you go can you tell us I'm gonna give you a choice here okay mm-hmm. because this question sometimes is hard for people either like the best advice you've ever had you've ever received or the worst advice you've ever received that you're glad you didn't take it oh wow i'm gonna go for worst advice because great that's the best option yeah best advice (laughs) i've got a lot of great advice but nothing new um worst advice i don't really know if it's like uh (laughs) if it can be branded as advice but i have like this notes there's note on my phone where like I collect things that people say that I just um think are quite bizarre they just stand out for me for some reason um so (laughs) I'm just going through this sorry someone once said if you're self-employed are you scamming yourself and I had to think about that yeah. And they said it to me because they say that I say often that employment is a scam, which is true. I feel like employment is a scam. But then if I'm self-employed, am I scamming myself? <laughs> That's a really good thing. We need a whole new episode just on <laughs> Like we need a panel, but like I feel like you have a you have there's some truth to that as well it's interesting i think it was coming from one of my like anti-capitalist rants that i was doing um that my friends kindly listen to sometimes um i was just like yeah the whole concept of being employed and like working why would we work when we could just do stuff for each other one of those sorts of rants and that's how that came up in conversation so that's what like leaves people pondering if yeah. you are self-employed, are you? I wish I was. I wish this was like a radio program that people can call in. <laughs> <and listen back. laughs> uh, we've got Jeffrey online too. Jeffrey, hello. Jeffrey, <laughs> first time, long time. Love the show. Um, really good point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we should have done that. Okay, we we need to do one. Like we can do a fake radio uh, show I'm just so doing fun. that. I'm so down for that. Yeah, I'm obsessed with the radio. Like. <laughs> It's it's the only thing I miss about having to drive a car, which I hate driving. I'm a I'm a bad driver. Don't get into a car with me. I don't <laughs> have a car since I moved to London. I don't want to learn how to drive again. I'm good. But when I did drive and I spent lots of hours in the traffic jam, uh, in São Paulo, the one thing I missed about that only is the radio. Yeah. I really enjoyed the whole like not having so much control of what you're gonna listen to. Exactly. You know? Like, not everything needs to be curated. It takes the surprise out of things. Yeah, and, like, those radio shows are just so funny. 
but yeah, so maybe we'll do that. We'll do like our own take on that on that conversation. Like I will do a bit of a production. I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. <laughs> um, so before you go, could you just tell us or tell everyone how they can find you? Like where can they connect with you and see what you're up to? Yeah. All the hundred things you're up to all the time. <laughs> I'm basically um, transferring all of my presence onto LinkedIn to be more of a professional. So you can catch me on LinkedIn with my name. Um, I might return to Instagram, in which case that's also my name, Malachi Sargent. Um, my medium and my website is also my name. And I've got some like writing and more new stuff coming up in the summer, which I'm excited to share. Amazing. We'll put all of that on the show notes. Thanks so much again, Malachi, for making some time for us on this Friday. I hope I can see you soon experiencing some really great live theater or anything in between at some point. But yeah, thanks again for joining us on the Airlight Networking podcast and the program. And I really hope you enjoy your experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely chatting. Networking podcast. For more information on everything that we do, just head over to our website, ilovenetworking.uk, or find us on social media now. If you're looking for more stories from inspiring entrepreneurs, check out the Serial Entrepreneurs from Startups Magazine, a print and digital publication that champions tech startups. Here, their editor, Anna Flockett, interviews the most innovative startups of the moment with some startup lessons and failure fables, as well as a sprinkling of inspirational advice. You can find them by searching the Serial entrepreneur, as in your breakfast, into any streaming service or by going to startupsmagazine.co.uk. See you next week.